I love the presence of Jesus. <laughs> I just love the presence of Jesus. I sometimes get a little giddy. I have spiritual goosebumps right now. They're not in the Bible, but I get them. All right. Today is the day that I believe I'm going to finish teaching on promises. We started off with the greatest promise that was ever made by God, and it was made in Genesis 3. Eve, your seed will crush the head of the serpent. Who was the fulfillment of that promise? Jesus. And when he did a crushing, he did a real serious crushing. Today I want to finish by talking about the book in which those promises are written. So, okay, good luck back there. <laughs> I have notes. I also have trouble. Um, My wife says if I bring your outline along, sometimes I stay on track better. Yes, she does. First Peter. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Circle everything. What that word says is, when I don't have the fill in the blank, Peter, who stood next to Jesus, walked on water with Jesus, denied Jesus, restored by Jesus, considered Jesus so great and his life so insignificant, when they were going to crucify him like Jesus, he said, I'm not worthy to die like my Savior did. Turn me upside down, Peter. This same guy said, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him. I think that's highlighted. You might want to circle that. You have to know him. If you know him, then you'll know that he's given you everything you need. The one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, listen to this, and it should be highlighted in your notes, he has given us two things, great and precious promises. They're defined with two adjectives. They're great promises and they're precious promises. I wear on my finger a ring. It's the second one Joe gave me. It's a comfort fit. When you get old and fat, that's the kind you like. <laughs> it is dinged, and, and we bought it in Springfield. And I used to, when we went back to see our daughters, every time we'd go in, they'd say, let's clean it all up. But our kids aren't there anymore, so it doesn't get cleaned up very often. But it's precious to me. It's, it's precious to me because it's made of something of value, but it's more precious because of the person that gave it and the pledge that was behind it. 
She could have made this out of a, a gum wrapper, rolled it real tight, spun it around, and because she gave it to me, it would be precious. Does that make sense? Well, I'm going to tell you, God doesn't give you promises that are made of gum wrappers. They are really made of something of value. But what gives them greater value, listen to me, is the person who makes them and gives them to us. Are you with me there? These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. Divine. Let's replace that with these promises are what enable you to share God's nature. Do you see that? The promises enable me to have God's nature in me. Now, don't go out of here and say, Mark went Mormon today. We're all gods. Well, the Bible does say we're all little God, small g, okay. I don't mean it that way. I'm not getting weird. But here's the divine nature. Here's divine nature. I'll give you some examples. Loving people that are unlovely. That's the divine nature. Showing, showing compassion. Except Peter. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, sorry about that. It's... What enables you, what empowers you to forgive people that are hard to forgive, that gives you the strength to love people that are not lovely? It's the things that give you the ability to trust when there's no evidence to trust. That's what the promises are. The promises give you the ability to share his nature and, oh, by the way, escape the corrupt world, by the way, which your desires run on. Do you see that? And I apologize for the typo. I have it right in my iPad, so it's all good. <laughs> in view of all this, what all this? Oh, all this is God's glory, his grace, his, his excellence, his many precious uh, and great promises that are given to us. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to his promises. Then, I didn't put this in your notes, but let me read the rest of this. Supplement your faith with provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control with patience, endurance, and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, guess what? The more productive and use, useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So very quickly, let's go through this. Number one, I need to know God's promises. You can't claim them. You can't live by them. They can't impact your life. They can't change you until you know his promises. First Chronicles 17 says, For the sake of your servant, O Lord, and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known. They've made them known. Ephesians 2. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. 
and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them, you lived in this world without God and without hope. Well, guess what? If you live in the world without God, you're not going to have promises. If you don't have the promises of God, you have no hope. Jill and I had a see. We've had a lot of seasons in our life. We've never stayed in the four seasons, but we've had a lot of seasons. That was funny right there, for those of you who don't know, get my humor. We had a season where at 29 years old, I retired. I didn't want to, but I worked in an organization that when the senior leader retired or resigned, we all got to. I wasn't quite ready, like he was, to call it good. There I was. And uh, I worked in the world of a private school at that point in time, and this happened in August. Well, if you know anything about school calendar, trying to find a job in August is not easy. And so we looked for things, and I, I, I actually went to work with my cousin painting houses in Bakersfield. It's like 110 miles past the end of the world at Fresno. <laughs> we got up at 3.30 in the morning, had all our gear set up, so the minute we could actually see where we were painting, we painted. And by 11 o'clock, it was so blooming hot that when you're putting paint on with a brush, you dip it real heavy, which you shouldn't, and you'd run it, and it would be drying that you'd see the paint start to stretch if you were doing it long. I'm serious. So by 11 o'clock, we were cleaned up for the day until we came back at 8.30 and painted. That's what I did. And since it was Bakersfield, and I didn't live in Bakersfield, I lived in Sonora, so uh, to pay for the trip, I said, I'm not making much money. So I'm going to cut a load of oak wood off some property that Jill and I owned, and I'll take it down there because they didn't have any oak wood in Bakersfield. They, they have a lot of tumbleweeds, but didn't have a lot of oak. And, and I'll put the truck on the side of the road and sell it. And yet in that season, the Lord gave me a promise. And now you'll say, well, this was an odd thing, and here's how it was put, pitched to me. You'll be out one year. That's not what you want to hear from God. The only hope it brings is you know you're not going to be out two years. <laughs> now, in looking back, between cutting wood, painting houses, cabinets, an apartment complex in Bakersfield, and then loading trucks for UPS at 5 in the morning, I actually made more money in the year I was out than the year before when I was in. I just never knew where it was coming from. One year to the day of me leaving one church, I was hired at another. One year to the day. That promise should have given me great comfort. It'll be a year. I didn't take that promise that way. I took it as, ugh, it's going to be a year. But what that did teach me is when the Lord gave me things in the future, I began to look at them in a different perspective. Because, well, he said it was a year, 
It was a year, and he took care of us in that year, and we're all still alive. We didn't lose any children. We didn't lose our marriage. We didn't lose anything. And you know, that was a good primer because in 2011, we had a sense of God would take care of us. And I went from three jobs to two jobs to one job to grad school. And she worked for the state and they took away one day of work and then two and then three. Now, I'm not bragging on the O'Connells. I'm bragging on God here. Because we'd experienced that promise way back in 87, 88, that when we hit the 2000 to 11 to 2014 window, that our income greatly, greatly decreased. God kept his promise to us and took care of us and we went through that in a more peaceful way than we did the earlier one because we had experienced when God makes a promise, he keeps his word. Now, this is going to sound like bragging, and it is. It's bragging on what God did. Okay, I'm going to give you numbers just so you get it. When all of those jobs went away, we lost about seventy-five dollars to $80,000 a year in income. And in that same season of time, our giving doubled. Now, that's not glory be to me. That's not about me. God takes care of his kids. When we're faithful to do what he commands us to do, when we walk in light of his word, we can hold on to those covenant promises. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm going to provide. He did. So it, don't go out here and say, wow, our pastors, they're, we're not super spiritual. We're kind of simple. But because we had that little experience in Sonora, that we could face the bigger one later, not because we were greater people, because we had come to a place where we understood that when God promised us something, we could depend on it. But you can't depend on something you don't know. So you need to know his promises. And maybe some of you have the spiritual jet that flies through the sky and writes your promises in, in <laughs> stuff. I would say most of all of ours have their origin in this book. And I just say, well, Pastor, we never see you wave the Bible around. Do you ever read it? I bring this for show. I'm going to be honest. Because my Bible is version app on my iPad. And it's on my phone. And that and Bible Gateway are on my computer. So I'm just giving you some clues. If you don't know how to read a book, get your phone out. Go to the App Store, version, download. Look over there, the versions. I tend to teach out of the New Living Translation, the NLT. There's nothing better about that. It's just different. I grew up on King James. The problem when I read King James is, number one, I didn't live in 17th century England. But uh, the other thing is I've seen it so much that I, I, I just, I, 
skim because I know, well, he's going to say this next. He can say this. So I, about every few years, I change the translation that I read from just to force me to slow down and read it. Several of my professors in college worked on the NIV. So in the 70s, I switched from King James to NIV. So anyway, you can look on there and you can pick a version. And there's a little arrow thing with a cloud. That means you can download it. And so it's on your device. And if it has a little like thing there by it, guess what? You can put it in your car. Catherine calls me. She talks to the Chevy Tahoe. <laughs> I can hit the little thing there. And while I'm going to work, guess what? It reads the Bible to me. Do you get my point? You need to know the promises. Because God's promises are revealed. That's A. God's promises are revealed. And they're revealed to us in two ways. They're revealed to us by his living word, or by the living word, which is his son. Okay? Everybody got the fill-ins? I know you're freaking out because the computer froze. God's promises are revealed is A. How are they revealed? First of all, by his living word, the Son. 2 Corinthians 1 says, For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. As God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding Yes. And through Christ, our amen, which also means yes or I agree, ascends to God for his glory. So God says yes, and we say, I agree. I'll buy into that. Okay? Hebrews 1 says, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. So God's promises are revealed to us. They are revealed, and they're revealed by the living word. And number two is by the written word. I'm at the bottom of page one. By the written word, which is the Bible. In uh, Isaiah chapter 40, it says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Do you know I'm so old that I actually, in science, was taught in a science class that the human DNA had 48 chromosomes. That's how old I am. And you might say, but Mark, there's not 48. There's 46. And you're correct. But the early samples that they use to determine the number of chromosomes. And you've got to understand the ability to count and see because of the electronic uh, microscopes and all that weren't as good. The people they sampled were people that had mental health issues. You actually study it. It was from people in mental hospitals. Some of you don't remember. We used to have them. They were called state hospitals. They have different names now, but that, so that's what I did. So I, I remember the first time hearing, we have 48 chromosomes. And then a couple years later, we got a new science book. So there's 46. We checked normal people, whatever normal is. Maybe they're the normal ones. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, you get the point. God's word isn't like that. 
the grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of God stands forever. Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. Now, here's why you should be glad this series is over today. This is week eight, right? For those of you now don't, you know, you could argue one or two here. But the number of promises in the Bible generally is believed to be 3,573. That would be a long series. You agree? That would be a really long series. The first one is in Genesis 3.15. You know what that is? The promise of Jesus. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's the first promise in the Bible. The last one is in Revelation 22, verse 20. In between that, there's 3,571. You say, well, how do we know about the validity of his promises? Well, if we look at Isaiah 55... Now, I have more in my notes than you have on your paper because I wanted to fit it in on, didn't want to have an insert in a bulletin. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Can everyone agree? Yeah. Father knows best, but the Father knows the bestest. Another old reference you have to remember. Verse 10. The rain and snow come down from heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. What's he comparing the word to? The rain. Right? I send it out and it produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Then he says, if you want some reference, I'll give it to you. You will live in joy and peace. The mountain and the hills will burst forth in the song, which we did this morning. And the trees of the field will clap their hands. And, and we did that this morning, too. Did you know you were a tree of the field? You were. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. You say, is God really in the gardens? No, he's really into you. Are you catching this? Our life without God and without God's promises in our life, given to us through Jesus and recorded in his word, makes, compares us to barren ground that brings forth nothing of worth or value. But he says, when I put my son in you, and when I put my word in you, and when you live according to his promises, we'll take out the weeds and we'll put in fruitful things. All those things aren't about a desert. They're about us. In this case, they were specifically about the children of Israel, who were getting ready to go into a bad season, when God is saying, yeah, you're going into a bad season, but I'm going to promise you there's going to be a good season, and you're going to be fruitful and productive. And in the areas of your life, hear me now, the areas of your life where things have been worthless and they've been destructive and they've been destroyed, I'm going to go in there and I will root out all of that stuff. And I'll put in things that are of value and worth. Does that encourage you? I have a tongue that gets me in trouble. But when I give it to Jesus, it's amazing. Am I doing okay this morning? Oh, yeah.
Do you know when I got this? <laughs> Do you? Yeah, I, I, I've had this, this, these notes have been stuck in my computer for a month. I couldn't go anywhere. I finally just yesterday said, oh, this is good enough. We'll throw it there. It was when we sat here and I went to skip and I said, do you want to open or do you want me to open? So do anybody remember? You didn't hear that. I hope my mic wasn't on. But right before I came out here, and I got kind of enthused. Did anybody remember that? Do you remember back that far? I know it was like last century. <laughs> do, do any of you remember that? When I turned it to Skip and said, go, I leaned over to Jill. I said, I've got it. Because God gave it right then. So this is pretty fresh. If it was printed, they'd still be warm. What's the point? God can take my tongue that used to be so good at cutting remarks. And, and boy, you came at me with something. I could be quick with a retort. I could cut you down and you, you'd bleed. You wouldn't even know you were bleeding until you saw the blood. You, I was so good at it. And it's so grateful that Jesus came into my life and said, you know, I'm going to take that area where you've been destructive and I'm going to let it be a life speaker. Now, we could list your areas, but we won't. So, A, was God's promises are revealed. B, God's promises are reliable. Reliable. Joshua 21, not a single one of all the good promises the Lord has given to the family of Israel will be left unfulfilled. Everything the Lord has spoken came true. Which one did I give you that one in your thing? Joshua 23, I just referenced. Deep in your hearts you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. Psalms 89, 34. No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said. If I said I was going to bless you, I meant it. If I said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If I said, I'll give you mental clarity. I'm trying the best I can. Either I'm so great or I've put you to sleep. Psalms 146. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. Aren't you grateful for that? Yes. Hebrews 10. I'm going to read 22. I know you guys start at 23. Um, and by the way, I'm laughing because on the way, or yesterday as I was printing this, I had second Hebrews. So now we know where that two went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like the second gospel of Mark. Um, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, 
fully trusting in him, for our guilty consciousness have been sprinkled with God's blood, or Christ's blood, to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Number, or letter C, God's promises are relatable. Relatable. You notice I got three R's? I don't know why that happened, because I'm not that kind of teacher, but it just happened. What I mean by that is God's promises address issues of life. They address every question you have about life, and they address every area in which you might have need. So they're there. Sometimes I don't need them. But when I need healing, I want to know about the promise of healing. When I need forgiveness, which is kind of like on a daily thing, I've, I've just kind of memorized that one. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us the sins and cleanse us from all the righteousness. Nice one to remember every day, because I kind of break that one every day. But the health thing isn't every day. So I have to look it up. By his stripes, you were healed. Or if you want to go into Isaiah, by his stripes, you are healed. So we got the present and the past, meaning it's done. What do God's promises address? They address things like eternal life and heaven and the Holy Spirit. And they address our needs. They address our need for wisdom, for guidance, for direction. They help us with our kids and with our family. You could have put marriage in there. Oh, I did. Children and family, overcoming temptation. They can help us with fear. They can help us with our future, the resurrection, forgiveness, money and finances, healing. You get it? You can read the rest of that. Now, this isn't in your notes, but it's still good. I'm still in C. Don't freak out. I haven't gone to the next one, which is supposed to be, what, two? Um, some promises are situational. Of that 3,000-something, they're situational. Like, I don't want to claim the promise that was made by God to Abraham your wife, Sarah, will have a child. Because I don't have a wife, Sarah, number one. And I'm really not looking for another child. That's right. Abraham, okay, almost 100. I guess you're into that thing. We had Dax this weekend. He's one. We had him Friday night. We don't keep him overnight because somebody needs to sleep, and grandparents. So you know, you know what I mean by situational? They're, they're, they're for a person, for a people, for a season of time, because they're going to get so specific. Does that, does that make sense? OK, I'm not going to go there. Some promises are for all believers. I'll never leave you or forsake you. That, that's not just Mark and Jill. That, that's for everyone. Some promises are conditional. And here's how you tell. It's an if-then. If you'll do this, then I'll do this. If you confess your sins, that's a conditional promise. If, if you do this, then I'll forgive. If you forgive others their sins, I'll forgive you your sins. It's, a, it's conditional. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. And some are personal. 
Some promises are personal. You're never going to find in the Bible, Mark, you're going to be out a year. It's not written in that book. But while I was asking God, what are you going to do? And he was showing me in his word, I'm going to take care of you. I'll be with you. I'll never forsake you. I'll provide all your needs, all of those kinds of things. And I'm asking God, you see, what you don't know is the context. I'm asking God, how long is this going to be? I don't know how if I can take it. You'll be out a year. Suddenly that makes context. But you don't, that's not for you. That was where God took his written word that I was looking at, and he took it, which the written word is the logos, if you're into Greek, and he made it a rhema. It was a living word for Mark and Jill in that circumstance. I don't want it to be okay every time I say, okay, God, how long should our next vacation be? You'll be out a year. That'd be nice. Mark, how long, or God, how long should my next sermon be? Oh, about a year. That would be an empty church. Do you understand what I mean? Those promises become personal because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that brings life to that promise and makes it for you or for me. Now let me give you an example of what makes the difference. Back in Genesis, it says God created man. He did something different for man than everything else he created. What did he do? He breathed into them the breath of God. Breathe. Spirit, by the way, in both the Hebrew and Greek, means breath. So he breathed. Second Peter, I think I got it right this time, tells us that all scripture is inspired. Inspired means God breathed. Okay? So he made us alive by his breath. He wrote his word, or recorded his word, by his breath, by his inspiration. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, he tells Ezekiel, you see this valley of dry bones. And he says, speak to them. And they did. And when the breath came on them, things came back together. And it says the bones begin to connect. And all of those kinds of things. Well, do you see, don't you want God to take something from his word, his written word, and breathe it to life for you in your circumstance. That's a conditional thing. It's for you in your circumstance. It becomes a rhema, a God-breathed word. Second, I need to pursue his promises. I need to know them, now I need to pursue them. Give me a couple points of reference. Psalms 119, your promises have been thoroughly tested. That is why I love them so much. So it's not like we're trying out a new product here. Psalms 119, verse 148, I stay awake through the night thinking about your promises. I need to know them, and I need to pursue them. Four major things that God promises. Number one, or letter A, God promises me salvation. He says, I'll bring you out. Whatever you're in, I'll bring you out. You're in a trap, I'll bring you out. You're in a life without destiny and purpose, I'll bring you out. The reference there is Titus. God promises me deliverance. 
two or B, I don't know. I, I went from A to two, so yeah. We got a human pastor, especially last minute notes. God promises me deliverance. I will make you free. I'll free you. God promised. That's one of his great promises. You say, Mark, you don't understand. Why do I need deliverance? Well, okay, let's say you've got five generations of a family that can't get over one another. They're a feuding family. You need deliverance. I hate to break it to you, but you do. That's a generational thing. I'm not picking on you because we all have areas in our life that we have things that are under bondage that, that, that we, we just can't seem, no matter how hard we try, we can't seem to be what we want to be. And we make those pledges, I'll never do that again, I'll never do it again until we do it again. And then we feel all ugh, and defeated because, you know what, those are kinds of things that God needs to come in and say, I'm going to break those chains in your life. And he promises that he'll do that. Look at Romans 7 and 8. I'm glad we sang that this morning, which is why I'm not going to read it. God promises me restoration. Restoration. I'll redeem you. Have you ever had something stolen from you? It's a horrible feeling. I've told you about the story of someone breaking into our home and stealing silver dollars and how I felt and lived and slept in Lodi with no air conditioning, under a blanket, because if he couldn't see me, he couldn't know I was there. We've had things stolen from us that we don't even know have been stolen. But when you read his word, you go, it says, hey, he promised me peace. I don't know a life like that. Oh, it must have been stolen. I'll restore it. I will restore it. Last, number four, or D, whatever I should have typed. God promises me fulfillment. God promises me fulfillment. I take you as my people. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full or the old version, more abundantly. Number three, I need to live my life in view of his promises. In view of all this, Second Peter says, I think I got that one right, make every effort to respond to God's promises. See, I got it right there. 2 Corinthians 7 says, Because we have these promises, friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. When God has promised something, you need to live your life like it's happening. Some of you grew up in the era that I did, or around that, where we used to get the thing of claim God's promises. It made you sound like you were out prospecting for gold and you found it. There is some truth in that. But the greater truth is it's there. He's promised. It's spoken to your life. Now I stand in it because I know it's mine. That 
that season of time I referenced earlier where we didn't know, it was four years that we didn't know what God was doing with us. Every month. How are we going to make it this month? Every month was a miracle. Where do you want us to minister this month? Every month a door opened. It just did. It was, it was amazing. But we just knew that God was with us. He was guiding our steps and it was going to be okay. And it got to be a joke. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that God's a slot machine, but it got to be a joke. I'd say, okay, we're writing the tithe check at the first of the month because she's the only one getting paid at the first of the month. And I'm saying, we may, may need this to be a little bigger because I'm looking at the piles of bill. We need God to show up bigger. Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Why would you give away more if you have a greater need? Well, because we knew God was going to take care of us. Doesn't mean go buy a Mercedes and say, no, God, pay for it. We didn't buy anything. I still have a 15-, 16-year-old car. Delighted to drive it, along with my 36-year-old pickup. Hebrews 6. Because I ran out of space, you don't get this verse. Our great desire is that you keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull or indifferent. Instead, you'll follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Please, I encourage you, look at his word. Have it in your spirit. And so when you get to those seasons of time, God, what are you saying? They're there. They're reference material. They're in your Rolodex file or in your little notes thing in your phone where you can, oh, yeah, I remember that one. And then let God take that thing that's eternal and let him breathe life into it by his spirit for you, for your situation today. And when that happens, you hang on to it, not frantically like the cat, you know, cartoon, but you hang on to it with a sincere faith, knowing that what Jesus promises he will do. Now, I have a daughter, and then I have another daughter. One is little Mark, one is little Jill. Little Mark, known as Lindsay, She'll be very open with you about things she wants to be open about. But what she doesn't want you to know about, she knows you want to know, but she doesn't address it. Do not play cards with Lindsay. Never gamble, but don't play cards with Lindsay, because you'll never know from her face whether you're winning or losing. That's Lindsay. Are we free to tell this? Are we free to tell all of it? Okay, okay. Well, I'm wanting to make sure not just what I have here, but what she said to us Saturday. Okay. So last Saturday, uh, we drove to Napa to celebrate my birthday. And I got a card. And it said all the nice things that Lindsay, she's very thoughtful, she's very articulate, she thinks things out, it's, she's that kind of kid. 
And so I read it, and it was it was sincere, and it was it was touching. And of course, then a bag came out that he, she gave her something. I get the stinking card. She gets the bag. And at the bottom of the card, it says, but wait, there's more. So I read that, and I'm looking because I'm thinking, okay, maybe she put a gift card. Maybe it's a double-layer card, so I'm trying to pry it open. To, I'm looking for the something more. I don't know why, but I was. And then I'm looking on the floor under the table to see if there's a box. or. And then I got to thinking, Maybe it's so big it's in their car. <laughs> and then I'm staring with one eye into her bag to see if maybe my something more was in her bag. And I realized there was nothing more. And I was a little disappointed. I don't have many of those days left. <laughs> and I looked at it again and I said and I said it out loud but wait there's more and then I look at her she's sitting right there okay so you get to be la la today and she looks and gets this little look on her face and she goes you're going to be a nanny and poppy again That's about how long it was quiet, <laughs> because it takes me a while to register. And I do not respond to anything like that until she responds. And she was processing, because we don't know what that means. Because this is a couple that said to us 10 years ago, before we have a child, we want to adopt a child. And they tried several times to adopt a child from Ethiopia, and every time it was stopped. So, so you get why it took a little time. So finally, I think she almost jumps across the table. Are you pregnant? And then, and then I sob like crazy. They've been married 15 They've been married years. 15 years. <laughs> then she said, we said, what, what's it? You know, of course, you can imagine the questions we ask. What's your family? And you don't need to know. But um, she said, last year, the Lord gave me three promises, and all of them have come true. So this week, I got on my phone, and that little message thing, I said, Dear Lindsay, you mentioned the other day that God had given you three promises, and all of them came true in 2019. How did you know they were God's promises? How, how were you sure that they were God's promises? And asking for a friend. <laughs> And now I'm going to read her response, and this is, I will be done when I'm done with this. This is Lala. That's what the kids call her, because it's easier. At the end of last year, the beginning of this year, I always ask the Lord for a word for the year. I felt I should lean into the word fulfillment at the end of 2018 for 19. Fulfillment. So there's the word. So I asked the Lord to show me the scripture to become my anchor verse of the year. So she's asked for a word, now give me a, a verse. He spoke to me pretty clearly on Christmas Day 2018. Blessed is she who has believed 
that there would be fulfillment of God's promises to her. Remember the word fulfillment? So around New Year's, I sat down in prayer with the word in a journal and started writing out what did I think were the promises God had given me. I recalled three things that I'd felt very clearly impressed over the last two or three years. And it was always aligned with my times in the word in the scriptures. And not some generic scripture promises, but ones that I had prayed and meditated on because I felt they aligned with both desires of my heart, but the whispers, there's that breathing of the Holy Spirit, like, this is for you. So my scripture reading felt confirmed, and I made those focuses of both prayer and expectation. So I sat down and wrote out those three promises, and then I prayed over them as what I felt the Lord was giving me as my 2019 promises, and would always try to hold them in prayer and expectation. And then she says, because she's preaching for a friend, I think both of those are critical, pray and expectation. Faith, this is this, this is tremendous. Faith is a spiritual ask in prayer. But I think physical action is actually believing you have what you have asked for. This aligns with so many scriptures on prayer. So I laid claim to those things that I already felt the Lord had whispered me. Now here's the Lindsay humor. And so it came to pass. God keeps his promises. You just need to know what they are. You need to cling to them. Let him speak life into your life. Jesus bless your people. May we be a people of promise that become everything you've ordained for us to be. Amen.